This is the Words Matter Library, brought to you by Audible. We are so excited to have here today with us Gabe Sherman, who is a Vanity Fair correspondent, and he is the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Loudest Voice in the Room, How the Brilliant, Bombastic Roger Ailes Built Fox News and Divided a Country. So this book came out in 2014. Yet you can learn a whole lot about why we are in the current era of political drama from the reporting you did and also your reporting process starting, you know, I think you really started working on the book in around 2011. And so you put so many years into telling a story that was out there in the open and people had spoken about Roger Ailes and what was going on with women at Fox News. But no one really had blown the lid off of it. And so Gabe did that. Gabe blew the lid Mm -hmm. off the story. So we're so happy to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Joining me today is our executive producer and my sometime co-host, Adam Levine. Adam also served in the White House for President George W. Bush. He was also a senior producer at NBC News and began his career with the late, great Daniel Patrick Moynihan. And in the interest of full disclosure, um, I was one of the sources, one of the many, many, many sources I got to know, Gabe, during the writing of this book. And in interest of full disclosure, my husband works at Vanity Fair with Gabe. Now that we have that all that out of the way, at least <laughs> yes, go ahead. Yes. So this book, it's thick. Mm-hmm. You can read it on Kindle or listen and... It goes very quickly because of the familiarity with the story and the players, but you really take the character of Roger Ailes and explain who he is. And I have always been fascinated with Roger Ailes. He's just such a genius at political messaging and politics and media. And so you kind of take us to the beginning of how that career started for Roger Ailes. You know, it's interesting because when I sold the book, my original uh, proposal to Random House was more of a straight history of Fox News starting when the network launched in 1996, taking it up through, well, was it in 2010 or so? So wherever I finished the reporting. And very early on in the reporting, I was doing all these interviews and everyone was talking about the same idea, which is to understand Fox, you have to understand Roger, that, you know, it's this multi-billion dollar cable network, but it's really the creation of one man. It's kind of a mom and pop shop. And so uh, very quickly, I decided that the best way to do this book would be to do it more as a biography of Ailes and tell the story of his life, which traces the arc of the rise of television as a political medium. And through Ailes's life, you could see how American politics had changed. And then when you're learning about Fox News, you're learning that it's really this cult of personality of this one man. So that was really why I decided to go so deep on Ailes. And at the time, he was well known in political circles and to professionals like yourself. But in the wider culture, he was not like a Karl Rove. He wasn't a household name. And I think clearly Ailes's legacy is going to far outlive him. And he's going to be someone I imagine will be much more famous you know, posthumously than he did when he was alive. And for someone who could dish it out, Roger Ailes couldn't really take it. He did not like your investigative focus on his life and on his work. You know, I was kind of naive, I guess, because uh, when I took on the book, I mean, I knew Ailes was known as being, you know, this larger than life media personality, but not like someone who would actually make you feel like your life was in danger. Um, and I guess if I had known that, maybe I wouldn't have done the book. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, once I started doing a more a deep dive on his life story, he really reacted 
like I was basically, you know, public enemy number one. And he, you know, dispatched private investigators to, you know, dig into my private life. He created a whole dossier about, you know, my bank records and my voting history. And um, the most disturbing part was he created these whole series of websites that were smearing me in kind of sort of overt anti-Semitic ways. And then I was kind of picked up in the right-wing blogs. And then my wife and I got a death threat at home. So it was kind of taking on this you know, fervor in the right wing uh, fever swamps of the internet. And, um, and so that was alarming because, you know, I, you know, we didn't have a doorman at our apartment. I felt like I was just sort of this one man operation going up against the entire right wing movement in, in America. And now in the age of Trump, where reporters are targeted on Twitter, and it's, it's much more common now. But in 2011 or so, it felt much more like this was a, you know, a, a new a new form of harassment online. And you interviewed over 600 people for this book. So the scope probably was petrifying because when you're trying to hide something, you don't want a reporter who's actually doing real reporting and going and speaking to everyone. Absolutely. And how did that, how did that come through? Cause obviously you got that word in that sense while you were researching the book before you'd, you'd even published it. So how would that come back to you? Would that come back to you directly? Would that come back to you through people not wanting to talk to you? Would that come, you know, just, yeah. just go through a little bit of how you learn because, you know, you do, he's called brilliant in the title. I mean, yeah. if it was Donald Trump, he would just read the title and think it was a great yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I remember really early on, actually, this was, um, I, I, I figured this was going to be uh, a completely new kind of reporting experience where I called a former NBC executive who uh, had been around when Ailes was forced out of NBC in 1995 and, you know, had a pleasant 10-minute phone conversation. It wasn't actually that revealing of an interview. And two minutes after I hang up the phone, I get a phone call from uh, Ailes' PR guy, Brian Lewis, basically saying, what are you doing calling around saying Ailes was fired? And, you know, basically what I learned is immediately after hearing from me, sources were going back to Roger and kind of relaying what questions I was asking. So it turned into this elaborate game of telephone where every time I would interview someone, they would report back to Ailes and probably, you know, depending on what they wanted, could, you know, spin what I was asking. And then Ailes was, you know, claiming that I was asking all sorts of crazy questions. And so um, it sort of felt like we were shadowing each other over these three years, even though I only met him three, I think three times during that period, we had this really intense kind of codependent relationship. And it was someone that I thought about every single day, even though, you know, he wasn't obviously not a friend, you know, it was like we had this, we were so incredibly close and yet so far apart. And the story you tell about when you finally did meet him is creepy yeah. and weird. Yeah, tell that. I think well, that would be so, great. Yeah, so the first – I did – I have a couple of encounters. Um, but the first one was at the Four Seasons at a uh, at a media party. Um, and he was there with his wife, uh, Elizabeth Ailes. And um, I went up to him and, uh, and them. They were entering the party and I was kind of on the, the red carpet. And I said, Mr. Ailes, it's Gabe Sherman at New York – as at New York Magazine at the time. And I'm working on this book. And he goes, yeah, I know who you are. And, I, you know, you can write whatever you want about me, but stop harassing my wife. And I was just like completely thrown, like harassed, wife, what? And, you know, I had gone up to his, I guess, his little newspaper that he owned upstate and I was doing some reporting there. And and, in Ailes' mind, that construed to harassing his wife because she was the publisher. And I, you know, said, this is not true. And uh, and then his wife said, well, you're just trying to make a buck off my husband as if, you know, Roger Ailes, who was made 
paid $25 million a year to make the money on media. The irony is they probably spent more money harassing you yeah. with private investigators yeah. and creating dossiers yeah. about your very exciting bank records as a young reporter <laughs> yeah, living in, in New York <laughs> than actually. I know. The other the other conspiracy I loved is that uh, Ailes would tell people that I was being paid by George Soros to write the book. And I, I joked that we, you know, I live in a walk-up apartment in Queens. Like if I was getting paid by Soros, I didn't get a very good deal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so let's step back a bit to the political work of Roger Ailes. And you talk about how he was a young producer on Mike Douglas. He switched over to work for Nixon. And one of the stories about Roger Ailes that I find most fascinating is when he would stage the mock focus groups and they would plot the different, you know, voters that they wanted to have in the room. And Roger was adamant that they didn't just need to be softballs, that there had to be some drama, there had to be some tension. So it seemed real, even though it was a paid advertisement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's a great question, Elise. You know, that's, I think, the core of the genius that he did with Nixon. And we see it at Fox News. And I'll sort of connect the two, but I'll first start with what he did for Nixon. Is so um, he scheduled these town hall meetings across America that were televised. They would the Nixon campaign would buy airtime, but they appeared to be real town halls where the questioners would ask real questions of Nixon, and he would Ailes would carefully select you know the right housewife, the you know African American guest, you know the businessman. He would have the demographic group of the questioners reflect the voters that they wanted to reach on the campaign. And and so if you just tuned in at home, watch this, you think this is a news program. I'm watching uh, a town hall. Fast forward to Fox News. You know, I think part of the reason why Ailes's Fox News is so much more successful than Trump's Fox News is because Ailes was smart enough to know he obviously was a right winger, conservative, but you couldn't just have straight party line red meat. You had to have the appearance of the genius slogan, fair and balanced. So, you know, Ailes would invite liberals on Fox News. You know, he would like to have actual debates. The conservatives usually had to win, but he wanted the appearance of two sides clashing. Now with Trump, you know, it's just most of the hours of the day is Trump TV. It's just a carnival. And if Ailes was alive, he would be like, this is terrible television. Well, and that's what I wanted to ask you, because the contrast is pretty dramatic in the Roger Ailes era of Fox News, where there was that tension. And then now where you have some shows and hosts who are really just defying logic to be able to do somersaults to defend Donald Trump. Yeah, exactly. I think um, if he was around today, he would, you know, he would say that it's, you know, completely not what he wanted to do. And I think, you know, there were times when if you look at Glenn Beck, and he was getting kind of bigger than Fox and leading the crazy rally on the mall in Washington, you know, that was a time where Ailes wanted to dial back because that was taking over the brand. And there always needed to be enough plausible deniability that Fox was a genuine news network, even when it was programmed every single day to reflect Ailes's worldview. And that is going all the way back to the work he did in 68 for Nixon. To hear the rest of this interview with Gabe Sherman, look for the full episode on Monday. And we want to thank our partner, Audible. If there's a book you like, chances are it's on Audible. And right now you can take advantage of the Words Matter Audible holiday special and get three months of Audible for just $6.95 a month. That's more than half off the regular price. Give yourself or someone you love the gift of listening, the gift of a good book. Go to audible.com slash Words Matter, or text Words Matter to 500-500. Audible, because words matter.
Audible, because words matter. And finally, we want to thank our friends and partners at The Hangar Studios. Since we launched back in August, Words Matter has been recorded and produced by Jennifer Ho, Chad Dugatz, and the entire Hanger Studios team. They are total pros. The Hanger Studios will help you find your voice, find your audience, and deliver that top-notch audio quality needed for success in the podcast world. If you have a podcast you're trying to get off the ground, go to www.thehangerstudios.com and book a session. Thanks to Jennifer, Chad, and the entire team. We've been able to get our podcast off the ground with people we love working with. That's www.thehangerstudios.com. The Hanger Studios. Speak freely. 